Hola, yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashdown and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. Welcome back, guys. It's been a while. It's been a long time. It's been two weeks. Uh, what, what, so much has happened in that time. And this podcast uh, uh, only addresses the... Um, the, the, so the campaign, the general election campaign, uh, specifically in Vauxhall, uh, where George Turner, the guest of this week's show, uh, campaigned for the whole of the general election, obviously. And um, we, we touch on the, the pluses and minuses of the Liberal Democrat campaign, not just his uh, campaign, uh, but also nationwide. We talk about the leadership contest coming up, Vince Cable and... Um, and what have you, Ed Davey, Norman Lamb, etc. Uh, and yeah, we, and and it's it's more it's a sit. We, we go to a park. We go to a park. We sit and chat, and it it's a great environment in the middle of a heat wave. It was fantastic. So look, I'm not gonna carry on much longer with this preamble. Just to say. Please, guys, leave a review on iTunes. It really does help. It goes such a long way. We're building momentum here on this podcast. It's really working. And, um, yeah, just to say it, it really will go a long way to, to help me do this in the future to see if we can, you know, broaden uh, the, our horizons a bit. Um, I want to put a uh, plug out for the uh, New European podcast as well, which is a fantastic podcast, normally a panel of three, and they talk about... Uh, politics from from their perspective uh from the, what the new european is that beautiful paper that i bang on about it comes out once a week and uh, it's, it's available all around the country matt kelly the editor was on the podcast not long ago in fact you can listen back to that episode guys completely free show um with that plug plug with that plug out of the way um here's this week's episode and of course Leave a review on iTunes. Please do it. Bye-bye. Right, I'm here in Meow Park in Sydenham. It's a beautiful... Meow. It's a, meow. I always want to say Meow Park or Mayo, but it's Meow Park, so I always sound a bit strange. But it's a beautiful, beautiful summer's evening. It's part of the June heat wave, and I'm here with George Turner, the one and only. George, how are you, mate? Great. Is this your first episode since the election yes well because i was yeah. listening to your podcast to prepare myself for the questioning and like, you are going to have to eat your dictaphone a little bit with some of the predictions <laughs> you were coming out yeah, with yeah i know i know <laughs> i was like yeah george was it um john john uh, john mcdonald's going to be gone jeremy corbyn's going to be gone <laughs> You know, there is no chance. There's no that. chance. <laughs> um, we're not ready for a socialist. Um, blah blah blah. Uh, England, United Kingdom, and I was like, and then, and then that exit poll came in, and I thought, oh well, at least I'm not Anushka Astana. You know, <laughs> at least I'm not, you know, Nick Robinson. You know, <laughs> you know the few hundred listeners that we have. It's like it doesn't really matter. Yeah, well, you've got to be out. You've got to be bold, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think it. Uh, 
But, and that was what everyone was eating. I think no one expected. So, yeah. I mean, in our election, obviously, I was the candidate in Vauxhall. Yeah. And, uh, and the Labour Party won by 20,000 votes. But when they opened the ballot boxes and, the, and it was obvious that they had done so well, even the, the Labour Party people there were, were as surprised as we were. Yeah. Right. So, I, I think, you know, one of the, the stories of this election is is the volatility of the electorate. And I, I really do think a lot changed yeah. very late on in a way that I don't think has happened for how, a long time. So how was your data reading? So we're talking about um, George's um, campaign, obviously, in the general election. So he stood in Vauxhall. Um, and I, I, I've got the feeling, like a lot of people, that Kate Hoey, you know, went to bed with Nigel Farage, you know, metaphorically speaking, and um, and it was almost like, almost like a done deal. Like Zach Goldsmith and um, Richmond Park, I just thought it's a done deal. You, you know, we're going to win that seat. Yeah. yeah but yeah, yeah. the Corbyn surge was that what it was? Yeah, and and I I mean that's what people are calling it, but I wouldn't refer to it in that way I've got some Rene upstairs for that <laughs> you know I've had a couple of Corbyn surges before so yeah. but I think um, basically people are were asking themselves a different question at the end of the election campaign and that was what type of government do I want yeah uh, and they were given the choice of you know uh, miserable continuing austerity led by an incompetent leader yeah. or um, something more hopeful led by an incompetent leader <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and they chose the something more hopeful yeah and 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 that should you know as i say it should you know in our election in Vauxhall at the beginning of the campaign i am certain that we were winning and had the election been held in the first few weeks i think we would have won the election yeah. And all I, you know, all of the conversations we we're having on a doorstep were, I've voted Labour in my entire life, but I cannot possibly vote for Kate Howie ever again after what she's done. Yeah. And then by the, just you know, in the last week or so, mm. you started to get people say, well, you know, I'm voting for Corbyn, I'm voting for Corbyn. Uh, yeah. And then you kind of say, well, you know, you're not really, are you? No, <laughs> you're, well, you're, you know. And then at the end, you'd get people saying, listen, I'm really sorry. Um, I, I want to vote for you, but um, I can't stand Kate Howey, but I really, really don't want a Tory government, and we need to do everything we can to get as many Labour MPs as possible. Yeah, and especially that, when people can see the translation of the, that actually happening. Yeah. Like, obviously, like we touched on, my prediction, like, what, 99% of the media was that Corbyn was going to be laughed out of politics. And that didn't seem to bear any fruition. So when that surge started to happen, it was almost like insustainable. You couldn't really sustain that level, but you still got a decent share. You got, when did you get 11,000? Yeah, so we got about 11,000. Well, so yeah. I mean, our result in Vauxhall was, you know, in in the grand scheme of things, wasn't too shabby at all, right? Yeah. We um, had the we had an increase in vote share of about uh, 13.7%. And that was wow. the biggest increase in vote share for any Lib Dem candidate in a Labour-facing seat in the country by a huge margin. I yeah. mean, I think most 
people facing labour lost vote share or had, at the most had a few percent increase. So we probably had a bigger increase than any other labour facing campaign by about a factor of three. I would wow. have thought. That's pretty and impressive. And Kate Hoey got the worst result out of any sitting Labour MP in London oh, really? in terms of the increase in her vote share. She got an increase of about 3%. Everyone else was getting, you know, double figures at least. So clearly there was a huge effect. Um, uh, Voting with their nose, with holding their noses, right? Yeah, well, and, and, you know, there was still a significant amount of people that came over to us because of the whole Brexit issue. Yeah. Um, but not enough. Um, and, you know, definitely people who said they were voting for us at the beginning of the election, I think, mm. switched towards the end when they saw it was possible to elect a, uh, or, or there was a possibility of electing a Labour government yeah. uh, and kicking out the Tories. So is there anything else, because I, sorry, anything else that determined the results? Um, I mean, I'm going to switch slightly to Sarah Olney's campaign because I was heartbroken by that. Oh, 45 I know. Uh, votes I was absolutely because I, I mean personally I'd put in a lot of work myself for that campaign and when it when Bobby and I Bobby Dean and I were there for the result we were pretty wasted and and overjoyed Ed Davey was there pretty wasted overjoyed and it just carried it over the line into the new nine MPs and then you know was it like four months down the line the general elections call and the momentum was there to lose that seat did you feel like, in, in terms of campaign strategy, that the Lib Dems did everything they could? No, or? not at all. I mean, I think yeah. it was a terrible election campaign. Yeah. Uh, and it was the second terrible election campaign we've run. Oh, really? In oh, a can row. I move this? I'm going to move this to, to, yeah. to here because I'm worried about the crosswind. Sorry, guys, a te technical hit glitch. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bag being put by the microphone. Yeah, <laughs> it's really clever. I'm learning my lessons. A Jonathan Bartley interview, which is <laughs> the wind and everything. Oh, really? Not from his anus, but uh, yeah. Anyway, um, we'll edit that out. <laughs> um, so, no, yeah, the, the campaign strategy of the Lib Dems. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean. You know, at the end of the day, um, what's clear to me at this election was that there is a significant anti-Tory vote. And the Lib Dems have always been uh, in the ascendancy when they've been part of that anti-Tory movement. So, you know, all of the seats we picked up in the Southwest historically, you know, the huge progress we made under Charles Kennedy. Yeah. You know, and and it's not just anti-Tory. I was thinking about this on the way up. Actually, it's it's kind of an and you know, this country at the end of the day is run by an establishment. We are not a true democracy, right? You know, it's bunched by a bunch of people who uh, generally, generally speaking, you know, spend their whole lives in cloistered env environments. Go to private school, go to Oxford yeah. and Cambridge, moneyed. Then go to uh, then go and join the bar, um, become barristers. Uh, and then can become MPs and generally never leave uh, buildings which are, uh, weren't built in the, in the 17th century. Yeah. Um, and, and have this incredible arrogant view which you know, just tells people what to do. Uh, and there's a movement of people who actually say, actually, we don't need to live like this. You know, you know, it's this kind of arrogant, well, you don't understand economics. You might not like this, but this is the way that has to be. And you're stupid if you don't, if you yeah. don't know this. Um, and then there's a movement of people who, who just think, no, actually, we don't need to live like this. We can live a different way. 
Um, and, you know, even on, you know, people accuse Tony Blair of being a Tory. You know, I don't think Tony Blair was a Tory, right? You know, the Tories wouldn't have introduced a minimum wage and stuff like that. But he was very much part of the establishment. Uh, and it was that, again, that kind of establishment attitude. Yeah. And I think why the Tories did so badly is people are kind of prepared to vote for the establishment if they think they're doing an all right job of running the country. And what the Tories' fatal mistake was in this election was that they created an election campaign which was all about the kind of competence of one woman and then watched that completely crumble which under the scrutiny of the... It's pretty satisfying, right? Well, but we've ended up watching that. I mean, mess. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so you're... I mean, it's interesting because this is the first podcast since the uh, general election result. And I'm... So I, I've, I've deliberately stepped out of it because I've done, I've, 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 I was just whitewashed by it. In fact, it didn't really help that I had a, a, a week of neck pain, from mus- muscular strength, strains. I don't even know what they were about. It was like terrible. Um, I'm sounding like Boris Johnson now. Yeah. Yeah. You look a bit like him. I know. It's like the blonde, <laughs> blonde hair. I'm working my beer belly. Um, so, like I said, I was touching on Sarah Olney very disappointed what I think my process was why why weren't other people um, plowed into that campaign why why didn't that happen why in terms of volunteers well well I, I've got no idea yeah. I mean all, all I can tell you is that in Vauxhall the the National Party was telling us to shut down our campaign and go to Kingston and Surbiton and I no bet. one ever asked us to go to Vauxhall no. um, Sorry, no one ever yeah. asked us to go to Richmond, Richmond Park. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and was doing that very very late in the day on polling day, right? At four o'clock on polling day, when it was like, well, you know, there's only a limit to how much I can do on four o'clock on polling day. So they were kind of crapping themselves. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I and that, I think yeah. And the, and the thing that I was yeah, the, the, you were asking about you know the national campaign. So, you know, the last two campaigns generally, as as much as I can see, have been about like, um, vote Lib Dem. We're not the other two. Um, and you know that was very much a 2015 was um, was you know that whole look left look right cross kind of okay, yeah. stuff. And this you know in this campaign it was just like the and you know all of the kind of literature coming out from HQ was all very just like anti Labour anti Tory vote Lib Dem, uh, and you know people were just tired of. Um, being told for years and years and years, you know, you don't like the way the world is, but you just suck it up and deal with it because that's life. Yeah. Um, they wanted to vote for something a bit more positive. Yeah. Um, and um, and I don't think you know we did that well enough, really, as a as a and and that's the you know there were so many good things to say about the Liberal Democrat manifesto. You know, in my view, it was a really good manifesto. Well, I, I think that people did broadly pick up... Sorry, people in the media with half a brain sort of picked up on the plus points. You know, the um, 1p on income tax cut through pretty well. Um, I'm trying to think of other things off the top of my head. Um, I think subconsciously I've tried to bury them because I'm so traumatised by the whole process of six weeks of... Well, you must be even more traumatised. But I think... For me, the it's a it's a tough one because half of me wants to say I really lo- I really genuinely think Tim Farron's a lovely guy. Placing all the blame on him is tough. 
the cheeky chappy thing I don't think went very well. Sorry, guys are playing football behind us, by the way. But it's a fa it's a family game. No yob no yobbishness here. Um, and I, I just feel like, for me, perhaps it didn't matter about the manifesto. Almost, it didn't really matter because clearly someone like Nick Legg said fired the starting gun uh, about Brexit, and then they moved like racehorses as fast as they could away from the topic of Brexit. So then what were we left with? Yeah. And yeah. and what are you left with after a, a so-called Brexit referendum that refuses to talk about Brexit because it suits May and Corbyn? Well, that was just the scandal of this election campaign, really. But do we blame Tim for that? Do we? Who do we blame? You know, it's, it's, sorry, sorry for the, the for the result that we got in in, in the Remain facing uh, constituencies, I suppose. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, it is really interesting. So. You know, you kind of think that after the coalition, we needed uh, a young, fresh, new face who wasn't associated with the coalition. And really, Tim was the only person that could really play that role. You know, yeah. the, somebody who'd been around long enough to compete for the leadership and knows the party well enough and so on, and with experience, but at the same time had never been a minister, voted against tuition fees and yeah. so on. Let's pause and move, because he's doing my head in. <laughs> Okay, we're back. We had to take a respite from the ball kicking and wind. So, um, right, okay, uh, we were talking about the... Christ, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, Tim, Tim, and who necessarily, kind of who to blame, really, I suppose, because I think it, it's not necessarily blame, that's not quite the right word, that's a bit school ground, or playground, rather. Um, I think, for me, it's like, right, I've seen the election results come in, um, and I was fist pumping when I heard Joe Swinson come back in. That was bloody amazing. Yeah. But we got to 12. It was a Brexit sort of general election. Shouldn't we have been up in the 20s or 30s? You know, I remember going to Tom Brake's campaign and talking to a, a volunteer there, and he was absolutely adamant we were going to get like 30, 40 MPs. I was like, okay, interesting. I think yeah, at the end of the day, the election ended up not being about Brexit. And had it been about Brexit, we would have done far, far better. Yeah. Um, there was this survey done on this website, I think clearpolitics.com, where some academic had surveyed some hardcore Remainers yeah. um, through some of the Remain Facebook, Facebook groups. Yeah. And she'd asked them voting intention in December in 2016. And, and how they voted in the general election. And the change in voting intention is just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I think it was around 75% were saying they were going to vote Live Dem in December 2016. Uh, and 32% ended up voting Live Dem. 16% Labour in 2016. 52% yeah. Labour just a few months later. So there was this huge switch amongst the Remainers yeah. away from us and to Labour. Uh, and I saw that happen in, in Vauxhall, um, and it happened during the election campaign. And I'm sure that it happened not just, um, not, not because of a kind of particularly fantastic campaign run by Labour, but just because of the dreadful campaign run by the Conservatives. Yeah. And we were talking a bit about, go about, you know, um, Tim clearly, for whatever reason, didn't light the blue touch paper and he didn't set the world alight in a way that um, we would have loved him 
to, but I don't think but he hasn't really that's got... his fault, really. No. And, and I don't know, and I can't I really put my finger on why that was, and I just I think, think he gets squeezed out. It's in. not in him, though. It's not in him. I've, I've, I've spent more time with him than any other MP, any other, probably, you know, whatever, more, you know, one-to-one beer time, whatever, with him than any person that I'd like to, and he's fantastic. But he just hasn't got that. He hasn't got that, whatever it is, that that thing, that Macron thing. I can't even put my finger on it. I think it really didn't help within, well, the, the gay gay gate, you know, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. It was horrendous, you know, how he came, you know, that but, was... Yeah, I mean, then again, though, you know, given this election did at the end come down largely to a charisma contest, you know, it wasn't as if the other competition was amazing. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> and that Tim is, has, you know, yeah. bags for more, more sort of likability and charisma than Jeremy Corbyn and well, Theresa May, right? When, we, when I met you on your, um, on that campaign rally, uh, Tim turned up to him in Vauxhall, we ended up going down the pub for about two hours and, you know, pints and fun and banter and charisma. And it's not often, genuinely, I couldn't... I, there are MPs that are, like, have absolutely uh, nothing to lose that are way more closed than Tim. Like, <laughs> way more. And he was so open with me. And everyone around him, he was great. And this whole gay sex uh, abortion stuff, I can't... I genuinely don't believe that that could have, like, derailed the campaign to that degree. I, I just don't, I don't know. I think people were too ready to go negative, negative impulse on Tim Farron. I didn't really like him anyway. Right, there's a reason to hate him. As opposed to, like, give him a, an actual go. So I don't know where I am, actually. I sound very I sound very conflicted. I sound like I kind of love him, but I'm also a bit... Why Why did you have to have those views, Tim? <laughs> well, I mean, I think at the end of the day, he was right when he said, I'm running for Prime Minister, not the Pope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I think, you know, had the question been something like, um, do you think... Um, churches should be forced to um, accept gay marriage, or church should be able to, you know, to, yeah, to yeah, administer yeah. gay marriage, or so on. Then that would have been a much more valid question. But the whole thing being about, you know, the definition of sin. I mean, I'm not a particularly religious person myself, so I find the whole thing a little bit bizarre to begin with. I know, but. I know. That, that's the thing. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's the absolute. That, this is the problem, isn't it? It's and he's got a valid point. And I don't want to make this podcast about my views because I'm here to talk to you. But I personally felt that it was an attack. Yeah. But anyway, should we draw a line? Should we draw a line under that, or have you got more things to say well, about I, Tim? I, I agree, really. I mean, I, yeah. no, I think, and I think genuinely, he is somebody who is a great campaigner, and I think I'm really sorry I didn't see more of that kind of campaigning zeal. Yeah. During, I mean, I don't, you know, and also the view you have as a candidate. It, is just so worm's eye, you know, he's just like, I have no idea what's really going on in the rest of the country. So Tim came down a couple of times to Vauxhall, gave great speech both times, um, did this town hall event. Um, and we had this, I, I don't know if you were there for the beginning of it, the town hall event. I wasn't, no. Oh, right. well, I was probably busy with Simon Hughes, to be honest. Well, we had this uh, amazing scene where the Labour Party activists turned up, this mob of them, um, trying to intimidate people coming into the... Oh, building, well, and then not not the one where we first met. No, because we had a little 
that a few of those as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was pathetic. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and they were like lobbing stuff at Tim as he came in. Oh no, okay, I wouldn't see that. But yeah, yeah, and God. Wa- uh, they were lobbing water bombs, and they just like ended up hitting all the journalists surrounding him, and it's like. That's just a stupid thing to do, isn't it? If you want to ingratiate yourself to the rest of the world, is to like lob stuff at journalists. And, and, and he just handled it with just such total class. Right? He just turned around and he said, you know, this is an open event, open to the public, to have a conversation about our views. If you really care about this, why don't you come in and join in the conversation? Yeah. And then this woman stands, I'm not going to come in because I fucking hate you. Which, yeah. And you're just like... Well, you know, it just shows everything I, about what, what the Labour Party and Vauxhall were about, right? I think just, I know who you're talking about, actually, as well. I think she was at your, the one I came to as well. Yeah. But, it, yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's vitriol, but it, it's the... Um, Le- Labour are, you know, as Owen Jones says about the Liberal Democrats, the most untrustworthy people, apparently. The most untrustworthy political outfit. And when Owen Jones says that, obviously... Uh, I really take that to heart. <laughs> I don't know how to well, be any I mean, more I, sarcastic. That's one of the things that I found really amazing about the campaign, really, which was that um, the Labour Party in Vauxhall, and Kate Hoey in particular, complained non-stop about the nasty personal campaign that we were running. And all we were doing was reprinting pictures, which she had willingly posed for, at photo opportunities with the media, <laughs> right? So, yeah. you know, if you invite you know, the Associated Press and the Press Association and Reuters to come down and take a picture of you standing next to Nigel Farage on a boat. <laughs> Why are you so surprised when that image is distributed? And, oh my God. you know, all we did was, you know, put a leaflet out with that image and is this what you re- voted for? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that's fair enough, right? That's just attacking someone for the political positions that they've taken right absolutely you know, yeah. at the same time she turns around her activists are turning up to our public event trying to intimidate people who are coming in you know we have people members of the public saying that they're really scared by this and it's just like you know that is nasty campaigning right to be accused of nasty campaigning when you're engaging in that sort of rubbish is just outrageous i i think I think obviously uh, they're, they're, the, the Liberal Democrats have split, I suppose, over the coalition years. I mean, and I, when I was at that rally of yours, you know, there were plenty of people screaming about tuition fees uh, and, and, and bedroom tax and, and, and such. How do you think, I mean, just to change it a little bit, but how do you think, so Tim's gone, Vince Cable's going to be the new leader, blatantly. <laughs> yeah, well, if that's and, what you think. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I would, I, I'd like that. Um, should we talk about that now? Or yeah, do you go wanna... for it. Why not? Yeah. Just when it comes into your head. Yeah, because I, th- I think we, maybe we could talk about how the... how the could We could kind of weave it in a bit, but how the party are going to progress under the new leader and who it's going to be. It, it's really... Who's it between? Ed Davey, Vince Cable, Norman Lamb... Yeah, well, I mean, I'm devastated. It's not going to be Joe Swinson. I don't yeah, know why so I'm she's devastated. It's definitely but... not going to be Joe Swinson because she's ruled herself out. Well, she's been declared deputy today. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Uh, and deputy Vince, marshal. I saw that Vince it said on the news today that Vince is the only. I mean, we're always saying today. By the time people listen to this, we'll know everything. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. Exactly. At the time of recording this podcast on yeah. the twentieth uh, of June. Is it the twentieth? Shit. Um, uh, it said that Vince was the only candidate that had declared, but I thought I thought others had too. But 
There you go. I think there's a lot of speculation. I think we just, we just take it as a given because we've only got we've only got like three MPs, so it's sort of like it's Norman Lamb, isn't it? It's yeah. Norman Lamb and Vince. Uh, I, I don't know who else could possibly even throw their hat in other than Davy. That we we need. To, I think Vince would be great because he. It doesn't matter about age. It's fantastic. People just go, hey, it's a bald Bernie Sanders, you know. I, I don't know why I said that, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, age less is, grouchy. Less grouchy. He's a lovely guy. <laughs> I, I like Vince Cable. Or, you know, he's got may, maybe the stigma of the coalition. But having said that, maybe it's an opportunity for us to start praising the coalition years. Um, but he's a wise head. And I think people, when I was campaigning for the... Um, Richmond by-election back in November I was knocking on people's doors that were adjacent to the uh, Twickenham constituency and they were going when's Vince getting back in <laughs> so I mean there's a lot of love for that guy yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I feel that, that that is around the UK as well in general well, how, how, who would you like as a leader I haven't made my mind up yet I, I just think that make it up now I think on the spot I think my view will be I mean my my view is that the next couple of years are going to be dominated by the Brexit issue. Uh, and as a party, you know, things didn't go our way because the question that people were asking themselves at the ballot box was not what kind of Brexit do I want. Um, but that doesn't mean that that issue has gone away. Yeah. Uh, and that issue is going to come back into the forefront very, very quickly. And as the negotiation is going to come on, it's becoming going to become more and more real what leaving actually really means. And the Labour Party are in a complete mess on this issue, right? They've pretended to... I mean, and this was the most amazing thing about the campaign in Vauxhall, is that you had Kate Hoey, who's like the most ardent Brexiteer in Parliament, coming out with stuff like, well, I support Keir Starmer's position on Brexit. Well, she, she does not support <laughs> Keir Starmer's yeah. position on Brexit. She voted against it about 19 times, I think about 15 times in, uh, in, uh, on the Article 50 bill. She voted with UKIP 19 times on the Article 50 bill. For the purpose of the election campaign, she says she agreed with Keir Starmer. But then it took less than a week since the election and she's saying... Um, no single market, yeah. no customs union, whereas Keir Starmer's saying, well, we need to keep these options open. Uh, John McDonnell's saying no single market. They are all over the place on this issue. I know, but... The, the Tories are all over the place on this issue. And as this issue goes forward, we need to be... You know, that needs to be our issue. We need to make it our own. And we need to be the one clear voice that is consistent over time on this issue like you know we have been we, yeah, well, up think, until yeah. now that's not yeah. a criticism of where, what the party's done so far but we just must be razor like focus on yeah. that for the next couple of years while these negotiations are going on and I think my uh, choice about who the next leader will be will actually be just entirely decided on that basis you know who is going to be the uh, the the best advocate yeah for a pro-European position over the next two years. Do you think... I, 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 I would personally like Vince Cable to mould the party in his own image. I'm not saying we should all shave our heads. Yeah, but I'm, I think that would but, be interesting. But maybe. <laughs> um, I've, I value his contribution in the coalition. I, I think I value his contribution even outside 
when he lost his seat, he's, he, he still was in, in and around, you know, giving his, you know, opinion in a very chilled yeah. Yoda kind of way. Well, that's the interesting thing about Vince, Yoda. You know, Vince was um, a member of the government from day one of the coalition. Yeah. And yet seems to have none of the ill will from the public, as far as I can tell what the public mood is. Yeah. that many of the other people do I and I just think it's yeah. because of the way he handled it is you know he looked much less comfortable yeah. now we might think that that's a privilege he had right you know that's not something that Nick could do as deputy prime minister as much Yeah. Um, but for whatever the reason for that I think that does put him um, at an advantage now yeah. um, post coalition do you think it is a granddaddy thing like, I mean just literally just how fickle people can be from a really base point of view do you think he's just going to get away with stuff or has got away with stuff just because he's a, a lovable looking kind of guy and people are like, oh there's Vince Cable he's got that rep I don't know how he does it he's got that reputation or that, that feeling he seems to have like you know he gets away with not gets away with stuff because he's not really got a lot to be sinful for <laughs> but that word again it's sin- <laughs> sinful but he I think for me has to do it I think he's he wants to do it clearly and I think he would be fantastic I think people if we're talking about Tory facing remain constituencies he's the dude that a lot of those 65 onwards are going to look at and go yeah I loved him in the coalition I don't give a shit about tuition fees I voted Remain, brilliant. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, I know for a fact that some of my clients who hated Tim Farron because he was a cheeky chappy... Northerner. Northerner. I mean, it's basically that. I mean, people say... And I do wonder you know, how much... Actually, somebody somebody made this point to me uh, during the election campaign, which was that some of the animosity against him was a class thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I hadn't thought about it like that, but I did see the point, I have to say. Yeah, but I mean, this is the thing. I'm really lucky because I get, I I work out, you know, I work outside. I get to one to one with my clients, and most of them are pretty goddamn wealthy. And, um, you know, they see me pulling up my van with the Liberal Democrat stuff, and they take the piss out of me in a funny way. (laughs) And then. Because they're all Tories. Because they're all Tories, (laughs) yeah. In fact, one of them's got a. um, During the general election, I'm voting Tory if you're a Liberal Democrat piss off basically <laughs> uh, a poster on his door which was brilliant I thought it was brilliant um, but they were definitely saying but what's wrong with him I mean he's, he jumps about a lot and he's got this silly little smirk on his face and that silly little voice like yeah I, I, I think that's a personality problem that you've got and you're not listening to what he's saying mm. and actually what Tim Farron is actually saying is fantastic. In fact, if Vince Cable starts parroting everything that Tim Farron said over the last, what, two years of his leadership, we'll be doing all right, I think, yeah. personally. Yeah, and, and as I say, I, I don't know why it didn't have that, that cut through in a way, and it, and it might have just been the circumstances of the times that he found himself in. Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, at a time when elections... You know, if you look back when we were most successful as a party in terms of gaining seats in recent memory, it was at a time when 
general elections were a foregone conclusion. Yeah. And the Labour Party had this ridiculous supermajority, right? You know, they could have, they could have, you know, Tony Blair could have proposed the murder of the firstborn child and <laughs> still would have been able to get it through. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and at that point, you know, people feel comfortable voting for a third party. Whereas at a time when it's like a very close election, people see that voting for a third party is a risk. Um, so, I mean, you know, one thing this election really said to me was that, you know, confirmed in my mind is the desperate need for electoral reform in this country. Oh, because, Christ, don't get me know, started. At the end of the day, yeah. people are voting for a choice they can't actually, they don't actually have. You know, people are voting thinking that they have a say in who the government is and who the prime minister is. Yeah. And they don't, right? That's not the way our system's set up. All they have is a choice of who their local MP is. And in most places, they don't really even have that choice because they live in places where they have ridiculously safe seats. Yeah. So why not just give them that vote, right? Why not just have a system like in the States where people get to vote for the Prime Minister. Do you want to take that? I don't know where is my phone. Oh, there it is in my back pocket. <laughs> oh, it's, in the, it's in the bike. Um, uh, where people get to vote for the Prime Minister and get to vote for the government and yeah. get to vote yeah. for their local representative too. Um, and if they did that, you know, you'd get some very, very different outcomes. And that's also why, you know, as a party, the Lib Dems would do much better with their kind of brand of aren't we such nice people and we make great local MPs? Because, again, that works when people don't think the question of who the government's going to be matters because they think it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Uh, then they care more about who their local MP is. And, you know, again, we lived at a time where for 13 years uh, the Labour Party was so dominant in Parliament that that was never really a question. Yeah. And I think we kind of forgot that a little bit. So, you know, we lost seats in 2010, people forget, right? You know, in the height of Clegmania... I don't. We lost seats. Yeah. Uh, well, what about the vote share? Was that down as well? No, I think it went marginally up. But again, it's it's because, yeah. you know, in those marginal seats, people were like, oh, God, it really matters whether it's Labour or Tory. So, you know, what we need to do now... I mean, the only thing we can do at this point is to come up with a clear and comprehensive position which provides uh, a political alternative yeah. to the choice that people have. Um, whereas if you make it about, you know, aren't, aren't I a really nice local MP and won't I be nice and won't you like me as your MP? Or um, vote, for me, vote for us to be the opposition, you know, when the government is up for grabs. It ain't going to cut through. So that's quite interesting because I think... Um, I can't speak directly for Bobby. Bobby Dean, the genius that is uh, panellist on the uh, Limehouse podcast. Um, <laughs> I didn't realise he's your partner in crime. He sort of is, bless him, when I, you know, bully him to do it. Um, he wants... Like, you've taken like, off the whole... Yeah, I know. It's, I know it's really random. It now looks. We're talking about the beer can that I've just opened. It looks like um, an open cavity. It looks like a wound. It's not actually that nice. You can share this with me if you like. Okay, <laughs> um, We were talking about where the party, how the party wins back a core vote. Mark Pack kind of chat almost. Um, so that's what you're kind of touching on. My ears started twitching yeah, quite heavily yeah. there. 
Um, how do we get away from that? How do we get away from, I'm going to be your local champion to let's actually form uh, an opposition? I mean, that, that's, that's something that we should be aiming for, surely? I mean, I know we're kind of hamstrung at the moment with 12 MPs, but I mean, how does that even, how do we even go about doing that? Do, they, do, the, do you feel that the inner machinations, the workings of the party have an understanding of how to go about doing that? Or do you think it's just, let's just bang on about Brexit and see what happens? Well, I think Brexit is going to be key to that, right? Because yeah. that is going to be the most important political issue of our time. And it's going to dominate the political discourse for the next few years. And we are have a clear point of difference from the two major parties on it and have a consistent message. You know, we have a consistent position that's been consistent over a long time. So that's an admirable position to be in. Uh, and... You know, to answer your, your question is that we, we really need to construct an alternative political narrative that people find attractive. And that's how you build the core vote, is that people, people vote for us because of what the vision of the country we represent, rather than the individuals that make it. You know, in my constituency, I am fairly sure that very few people voted for Kate Hoey because they wanted her as their local MP. There are some people who did, right? I'm not, you know, she had a record <laughs> of 30 years and she had been uh, an assiduous constituency MP and yeah. done lots of campaigning on local issues and so on and would have helped a huge amount of people over that time. But, you know, I used to work for Simon Hughes and no one worked harder than that man at his constituency. And look, what, and he lo look yeah. what happened in 2015. Yeah. Um, because and then again the, in 2017. So. Because at the end of the day, people will prioritise um, the big political narrative over the local MP in a time when that that's important. Yeah. So I just don't think we can. It can work like that. We can't have. Uh, we can't build a party or build a core vote on the way we used to do it, which yeah. was you know, build up the council seat. You know, we need to build up the council seats because of, we need to build up an infrastructure. Absolutely. And that helps build an infrastructure. But we it's don't want... It's got to be on message throughout. Yeah, yeah. But we don't want to have, like, a situation where we're presenting an MP as a super councillor, right? Um, and, uh, and we're saying different things in different parts of the country uh, about, you know, key political issues... Yeah. And we're playing and we're trying to get people who are protesting against whatever political parties in government that they're pissed off about. Yeah. Uh, what we do need to do is build, you know, a very, very clear political message. And I think that is Brexit. So it goes yeah. back to what I was saying about the leadership, really, is that, you know, for me, the next leader has to be the person who understands that. Yeah. Uh, and is going to commit to really banging that drum the loudest. Yeah. and most effectively so do you, for, the, for the foreseeable. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. I like that. That's a really good, uh, easy pathway for me to, to understand, which is, as a dyslexic, is actually really important. <laughs> so um, I think with Vince Cable at the, the, the helm, Joe Swinson at the other helm, Ed Davey there as well, and the in you know the new insurgents. But that's the thing about you know you got such a small parliamentary party; they're all going to be involved. Whoever's the leader, yeah, right? yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and we've got so many new fresh well, not so many new fresh faces because I know there are some old 
um, MPs that have returned that were there before. But it's a compact, highly weaponised machine, I think. I don't know why I said highly weaponised. I think I've been watching a lot of Ridley Scott movies. But I just think... I think it's, it is there, it's there for the taking. My only fear is if a, another general election is called in the autumn, it's still too early for us. The Brexit negotiations started on Monday. Well, I, I think as well, you know, the thing that, to take heart is that we are clearly living in a time of extreme political volatility. Yeah. And that's around the world. I mean, look, you know, what happened in the United States with Donald Trump, somebody comes out of absolutely nowhere was previously a registered Democrat, takes over the Republican Party and wins the election when everyone had written him off. Yeah. Um, and here, you know, we forget it was only seven years ago since Clegmania, right? Yeah. Uh, and then where we are now, and now we've got yeah, Jesmania. And, and, so and I think, you know, the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn have received a lot of scrutiny about, well, like who Jeremy Corbyn is and, you know, kind of stuff which isn't really important, which doesn't really go to the core of why people are voting for him, which was um, the big political issues around austerity and so on. But when they start to be scrutinised on that, when they start to start making some real decisions on Europe, you know, what, you know, what with the Labour Party, if they were faced with a choice between backing uh, free movement of people and uh, continued membership of the single market or um, leaving the single market and having to and uh, and ending free movement of people which would they choose I'm not entirely sure because what they're saying at the moment is tariff free bureaucracy free friction free access to the single market but that is membership of the single market, mm. right? They're, they're kind of talking about it as if you can leave the single market and then be still in the single market. And it's a complete fantasy. That is going to fall apart at one point. And when it falls apart, they're just going to be left with a stark choice. Hollow, Which yeah. is free movement of people or free access to the single market. Yeah. And it will be that choice. And what are they going to do? Are they going to face down all those people in the north who they've got off UKIP now uh, and say, actually... You know, we all know you voted leave to get uh, to cut immigration, but we're not actually that concerned about that. Exactly. Or are they going to say, do you know what, we're willing to trash our economy um, because we want to cut down on immigration? But and, that, I think know, that's what a lot of people up, uh, up there, I think that's what people around the world, around the world, around the UK think that they're willing to say, yeah, all right, yeah, we'll trash it. Sod it. We hate the political elite. We hate the EU. I don't care. I'm fucked anyway. You know, I'm I'm screwed anyway, whatever I do. So, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I know that that's a very broad stroke way to approach it. But I do get that. And also, what I... And you've said... What you said there is I hit the nail on the head. Fine, I don't need to address that anymore. But what I would say is the, the student vote. Mm. Do they have any idea... What they were doing, I, I, as as a as a massive, you know, group. Uh, no, I mean, you know, you can individually. I can individually chat to each and every one of them and ask them, "Hey, guys, what do you vote? Why do you why do you vote for Jeremy?" Um, I think it was a cult movement, personally, and 
student fees 11 11 billion pounds i think that was yeah the figure uh okay we'll just wipe that out um yeah they're saying hey look at Keir Starmer he's saying some decent things about Brexit and Jeremy sort of said some stuff and then was contradicted by Diane Abbott and then John McDonnell contradicted her and everyone's you know I guess what I'm trying to say is the huge swing that the Labour Party were, were, were gifted by the by the youth I think that's gonna I think they hopefully God willing will wake up and actually realise, holy shit, the party, the, this guy that I put all my confidence in, it's a total sham. Well, I'd, I'd say more that they were willing to give him a chance, right? And, yeah. you know, that... And, and Which actually, is, I don't blame them for that's doing un- so, right? Yeah, because my underlining the thing day, there, yeah. At the end of the day, right, all of the kind of smear campaigns of the right-wing press were obviously bullshit. Yeah. And, and had no impact because... They were so obviously bullshit, and you know, people were willing to say, "Well, do you know what? Like, I don't like the way that they're beating up this old man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ignore them, right?" But they haven't, you know, committed themselves to the sacrifice themselves on the altar of Jeremy <laughs> forevermore, right? Yeah, yeah. And the moment he does something dreadful uh, will, and screws up, will he? Though? I will, will they? Will they stay there? I don't I know. I, 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 my feeling is that... Look, I'm just going off gut, and, like, you know, my gut instinct has predicted nothing short of, of crapola. But having said that, you know... So did everyone else. So did everyone else. Have but you been snapped up by a polling company? Or <laughs> right, yeah, 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 maybe. Um, I, I just feel that people love him. To, to, to a degree, when I'm out on doors, knocking away and local by-elections or whatever I, you know I meet people that are total totally obsessed with the movement of Jeremy Corbyn and what he actually I don't know what he stands for I mean I, I suppose I do know what he stands for hell I, I, I'm totally underqualified to be able to you know forensically analyse what he stands for right here right now because he's been an MP for about 50 million years and he's done some very admirable things. However, when it comes to the EU, the biggest thing that is going to affect those students, myself, etc., etc., everyone under the age of, what, 50, he's come up wanting. And the whole of the goddamn Labour Party have. It, and I don't. That, that just makes me feel ultimately frustrated that the Liberal Democrats have struggled so much. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think... I don't think it's about Jeremy Corbyn, right? Uh, you know, he's not the most charismatic person in the world. Um, and the fact that Theresa May lost the charisma contest with Jeremy Corbyn says more about Theresa May than it says about Jeremy Corbyn. Maybot. Um, but what he did do was represent an alternative to austerity uh, and an alternative to a very miserable view of the world, which is and miserly view of the world being put forward yeah. by the Conservatives. Um, you know, at the end of the day, when, when you've got public sector workers who've had a 1% pay increase yeah. and barely any, you know, and freezes for seven years, telling them that they're going to have to continue with it and saying stuff like, well, there's no magic money tree. Yeah. When at the same, you know, people realise, have begun to realise now, you know, it's not they've begun to realise, but people for a few years might have thought, well, 
we have to kind of suffer this because it's necessary. But it's got to the point where um, this is now just a political choice. Yeah. Um, oh, okay, I agree. And now with some you of there. the headbangers will say, well, it was a political choice from day one. Well, wasn't exactly a political choice from day one because we had a budget deficit which was like 10% of GDP which is completely unsustainable and no <laughs> yeah. government would be able to continue spending on that level um, but um, at the you know at a time when the government is cutting taxes on corporations cutting taxes on capital gains um, which are huge giveaways to the super rich uh, and also talking about things like cutting inheritance tax and so on um, that is a political choice to continue mm. with austerity um, and people wanted an escape route and Jeremy Corbyn presented them with an escape route which was not um, incredible right? Yeah. Um, or uncredible. Now people go on about oh the manifesto, the manifesto, the labour manifesto. I mean, I'm amazed the amount of people who said oh it was the labour manifesto that changed anything. The amount of people that read man political manifestos is not as large as the amount of people who said that the Labour manifesto changed everything. Yeah. But, um, but by presenting a costed manifesto, which didn't fall to bits, you know, there was the odd complaint about, oh, they'd used the wrong figure here or there, and the IFS said something. But, you know, it didn't fall to bits. And again, it, it partly didn't fall to bits because the Conservative manifesto was so rubbish, right? Yeah. You know, it would have been easy if the Tories had put together a manifesto which was completely fully costed and worked out and, um, and credible. They could have attacked the Labour manifesto for not adding up. Yeah. But having just uh, created this kind of fantasy book with no costings, no figures whatsoever, they can attack the Labour one. So what the Labour Party did was create an alternative to an austerity which stacked up in the public mind yeah uh and was worked through and 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 thought through and credible and at that point you know why wouldn't you vote for that right for a lot yeah. of people you can you can understand why yeah. people did no i, I get you I, I mean i i do feel that i think there was some fantastic fantasy there though in their in their manifesto i think they could have literally they were kind of promising well, they the were world never really some held to account for some of the harsh political choices that they made, right? Yeah. Because, you know, one of the things they didn't do was commit to ending the Tory benefits cuts. Yeah. Um, whilst at the same time giving a, you know, £11 billion giveaway to students. Yeah. Now, you know, even if you wanted to give something to students, which I can kind of see the logic to, why not say, oh, we'll cut tuition fees back down to 3000 or whatever and, um, and save some of the people who are suffering from these horrific benefit cuts? Yeah. Why say, you know, we're going to wipe out student fees and wipe out all historic debt, which is incredibly expensive. And because we're doing that, we're not going to stop some of the un un unbearable suffering that people are going through because of the really, really harsh benefit cuts yeah. they're suffering under the Tories, which they sign up to. Now, again, you know, that, that wasn't really scrutinised. <laughs> like that, that was, those, those kinds of points weren't made because, because the Tory campaign was so miserable and so bad that actually those kinds of things didn't really matter because in comparison to that, the Labour manifesto was so 
mm. hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I know I, and that's what inspired people. Now, you know, again, we as a party, um, I didn't see, uh, as I said before, you've got this kind of very worm's eye view being a candidate. But what I did see is the, the literature being sent out by HQ because we were a target seat the kind of direct mail that the federal party sends out to people yeah and you know it was it was a lot of it was very negative against labor and very negative against the tories uh and i would have liked to see much more positive reinforcement of our message yeah about what we stand for so what do you think that boils down to where's the problem there where's that coming from well, it's coming from the campaigns department of the Liberal Democrat headquarters, yeah. um, and there needs to be some serious changes in there because we, they've run two bad election campaigns. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, you know, enough about the internal workings of the party to say yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who it is and so on. But, but you, you know, but you on the receiving end of it because you were a PPC yeah. in Vauxhall, so one of the like. You know, a lot of you know, Guardian. Well, it's observer, not just Vox, you know, you know. You look at what happened with Mark, so. Mark Williams in Keridigian, right? Oh you my know, Christ, that, that was horrendous! I know. cannot believe he's gone. Well, so bad. He had to. It was reported on the BBC that he made a public apology about some of the leaflets that were being sent out by the Lib Dem Federal Party. Oh really? Yeah. But what exceptionally negative? Well, they were very negative about Plaid and about their position on Brexit and saying that they were backing a hard Brexit. No, they're not. Well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they're not at all. Uh, and and so so Mark, you know, it's on the BBC website. Mark made an apology about it, and it's like you oh, know, then he dear. loses by five hundred votes. Now, you know, that's the kind of stuff that loses election. You know, in Richmond Park, I don't know what the because that's obviously a Tory-facing seat. I don't know if they were going as negative about Corbyn, but if they were. You know, that could well have put off 50 Labour voters right. from voting for Lib Dems. Yeah. You know, and I think that really needs to be looked at. Is like, you know, actually, and I'll say this, like, it's interesting because we were accused in Vauxhall of running a relentlessly negative campaign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but in, our, um, in our constituency, we had to attack the incumbent for her outrageous position on Brexit. That because, was your standpoint, you know, yeah. yeah. And, and that was something that the federal party couldn't do. Yeah. Because they can't talk about local candidates. You know, you have to... This bizarre thing in this British electoral system that you have to run these two separate campaigns where yeah. the federal party campaigns on national issues and on the national party and so on, and then the local people campaign on the candidates. I, yeah, I don't understand that either. I really genuinely don't. Because it... Yeah, and it's stupid because it's not actually the way that people want to vote. Yeah. Because so, um, anyway, we could go off a long tangent about I'll, that. I'll, I'll phone up we'll, Mark Pack. We'll, we'll, we'll go back to that another time. But the, 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 the point is that, um, you know, in Vauxhall, we, you know, we were attacking the incumbent for her positions on Brexit. Yeah. Um, and that was... Uh, entirely necessary thing to do. It was entirely the right thing to do. Um, you know, we had to hold her to account for so much just that completely outrageous behaviour. Yeah, that's fair play. Um, yeah. But to have that kind of layered on top of that, a national campaign which was negative about Labour, yeah, wasn't entirely helpful. And it would have been much more helpful to have a kind of much more positive national campaign, um, which complemented our attack lines on on the local candidate on Kate Hurry. Yeah. 
Um, but having kind of our campaign, which was um, attacking Kate Hoey, and then the national campaign attacking Labour was just a bit too much for some people yeah. uh, in the constituency. Um, I mean, what I'd love, I'd love to do is have like someone like Sean Roberts come down, um, you know, like a, a little panel of Liberal Democrats that could just like lance the boil almost. If there is a boil to lance, I don't know. I think that's perhaps a little dramatic, but to have a really open conversation because I, I, I literally just speak to. I'm a very it's a, it, insular kind of existence. I have, you know, I just go in and out of. Of, of pockets of, of Lib Dems, you know, mm. and I don't have... No one gives a shit about this podcast. So it's not like, you know, HQ are rubbing their heads going, I wonder what the Limehouse podcast <laughs> well, is going get, to say this week. you top people on your podcast. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm not talking about me. I mean, like, <laughs> Nick <laughs> Clegg and Tim Farrell. But they, you know, I have you, it... You've gone down market this week. <laughs> but. <laughs> and then they forget, they forget, they go, Lime, I had some, I think I walked into an office during the election, they said, oh, the Limehouse Project is here. So <laughs> the, the Limehouse Project? I'll, f- I'll take that, fine, it's alright, I don't care. Um, <clears throat> God, I want more beer. But no, I, I think that going going forward is to look back. Because I, I, I know that sounds a bit mental, but or no, not mental, just really cheesy. But I think we have to look back at the past few weeks, like you were just saying, and then go to Liberal Democrat Conference with a new leader and go, right... Let's forge a new goddamn party going forward. But this is the thing. I mean, you know, if you look at this is this is the thing that really needs to be. I'm going to finish over. this. By the Go way. for it. Okay. It really needs to be picked over in detail and thought about very deeply. Because what I fear is that we have a party which um, is saying, "Oh, we got a 50% increase in our MPs. Didn't we do a brilliant job? Job done." Let's just carry on. Yeah. Now, and I, I appreciate to a certain extent you have to say that to the outside world and that's the kind of public image you have to present, but I wonder how much that that's what people really believe who are sitting in Great George Street. And um, because what we really need to do is think about the fact that, you know, had we managed to ca- capture a significant amount more of the Remain vote, we would have done significantly better. And why didn't we do better? And what could we have done to change to do better? Well, the easiest scapegoat is Tim Farron. Well, I mean, I don't, you know, he... People, I'm, I'm, he, I'm playing devil's advocate here, because I, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm completely, like, I've got a real um, uh, split, split mind over this. But, hey, you know, it was Tim Farron, you know, Lib, Lib Dem HQ might say, you know, it was him and David Laws will write that letter saying, you know, I... I would urge him to step down because blah, 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 and X, Y, and Z. And it's hard not to listen to David Laws because respect to the guy. Yeah, He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> you were saying it was all Tim Farron's fault. Yeah, yeah. I suppose, but, yeah, Devil's Advocate, well, I suppose, yeah. I mean, I don't think it was. I think... No, I don't think it was at all. I think there is a lot of... Re- I mean, I think we have to look at the campaign as a whole, right? Yeah. And the national campaign. And that's not any one individual, even including the leader. Yeah. That is, what was our messages? What was what? What were we trying to say? What were we? You know, at the end of the day, we. Uh, what was the kind of question 
in our we wanted the electorate to have about us what was the what was the one thing we wanted the electorate to have in their mind when they went in the ballot box to think about us the one message they wanted to take away yeah uh, and how did we come to that message and how did we decide what those messages were um because you know one of the impressions i got from being in a, a target seat was that uh, actually uh, the people in HQ were just kind of obsessing about data all the time uh, and the one thing we know about this election is that the data was wrong Okay, like, so everybody was wrong for, for the layman, when you say obsessing about data what, what do you mean there? Well they're looking at opinion polls and looking at canvas returns coming okay. in and all of that and, and what I think we saw in this election was a very late shift in public opinion and yeah. And that won't have been picked up necessarily in kind of a very strict data analysis. That's the kind of thing you pick up from, you know, much more qualitative data, like the speaking to people, the kind of getting people's impression of what's going on on the ground. Yeah. Through just the feeling and sense of speaking to hundreds of people. Um, but what I got was a sense that there was a lot of people sitting in... Uh, rooms looking at computer screens looking at numbers um, without thinking of you know what those numbers represented in terms of you know the human people yeah yeah (laughs) human element yeah Um, do you think that's resource or do you think they're having to sit back at computers because there just aren't enough people to do it like you know like the labor lot have thousands of volunteers tories thousands or no i think it's I think it's just something that is a structural issue, which okay. can be changed. Yeah. Um, I mean, you'd know, because you, you were, like, head of Simon Hughes's thing for, like... Yeah, well, it's interesting, because, I mean, I was, <laughs> so I was the head of Simon Hughes's Westminster office from 2009 to 2013. Uh, and so I did the 2010 election with him, and I did the 2015 election I was kind of campaigning in Bermondsey I wasn't doing much stuff in Vauxhall um, and was with him all through election night and actually the experience of being a candidate and running your own campaign is completely different (laughs) so even though I thought I would have had a very um, a very close view of uh, up close and personal view of what the inside of an election campaign looked like in, in a key seat yeah actually it was it was still a completely different experience. In what way? Just because, I mean, I guess, like, as I was... Um, when I was working for Simon, I, like... There was things I had to do, and there was... Um, I was just kind of a cog in a bigger machine. Yeah. Uh, and I was focused on my, my job in that machine. Um, whereas when you're the candidate you have to look at the whole machine. Um, okay, and, I see what you mean. Okay, yeah. And, you know, look at what the machine's doing and where it's going and yeah, <laughs> all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and deal with all sorts of things that, you know, each individual component doesn't have time to think about. That our campaign was not about attacking Kate for who she was or her character or her personality or anything like that. And, you know, I had been friends with Kate Ho. We, we had campaigned together on issues. You know, I had kind of a lot of respect for her on the local campaigns that she'd done. Um, 
and then by the end of the campaign you know because of the pressure of our campaign actually her true personality came out and actually what I saw was an extremely hateful quite nasty person yeah uh, and to lose to that person <laughs> is doubly galling right so you know one of the things you know I on election night at the count I wasn't actually that upset by things because I knew we'd done all that we could right we had yeah. run this incredible campaign we had hundreds of people come and support us we'd had um, huge amounts of donations from members of the public who were just chipping in five ten pounds because they believed in what we were doing yeah uh, we had had phenomenally good uh, media coverage and we'd had a huge amount of fun and there was a real buzz about what we were trying to do and all of that and we put 150 percent into it so at the end of it you know we lost but you know whatever we hadn't we'd done all we could and once you've done all you could you can't really be angry uh, at the result but um, when we were on the stage getting the result Kate chose <laughs> to stick the knife in by uh, going through uh, by thanking all the candidates individually and skipping out me <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Which was like... Did the she airbrush you as well? In a during picture? the campaign, yeah, she airbrushed me out of a picture. Yeah, but, fucking hell. But the, oh, wow. The, you know, her behaviour at the count was like one of the uh, <laughs> most undignified and nasty things I had ever seen a, a public uh, figure do. Uh, and the oh. fact that this is a woman who used to be Minister of Sport right, and who showed the most outrageous lack of sportsmanship yeah. <laughs> oh, well. was just incredible. Okay, say goodbye to, um, the, to, to the listeners, George. Goodbye, listeners. It's been lovely to spend this time with you and I hope we meet one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in a planet, in a galaxy far, far away. Right, I'm going to say goodbye as well. Goodbye. So I did enjoy that chat a lot. I've got to say, I think beers outside in a park, twilight, heat wave equals chilled vibe. And I want to do that. I want to do that every week. But it's impossible because it's come up to Glastonbury and the rains are coming back. I want to know, have you ever seen the rain? Uh, that, that sounded more like Bob Dylan, didn't it? As opposed to Credence Clearwater Revival. And I'll tell you what, I've had a classic rock revival in my life to get me uh, out of the um, post-election blues. And it works. It really, really does work. My God. Um, particularly after the horrendous few weeks we've been having. Uh, uh, yeah, obviously the, uh, the fires in West London, Grenville is just horrendous. And uh, my heart goes out to those families uh, and, and obviously everyone that's been involved in this podcast uh, on the panel uh, will, will obviously share, share my uh, deep condolences there. Um, and looking, looking forward to the, to the weeks ahead, I've got um, Paddy Ashdown lined up for a chat with you guys. Uh, as yet, I have no idea what we're going to talk about. So that's up to you to formulate the questions. Please send them in to the email address which is the limehouse podcast at gmail.com as always that's never going to change it's always going to be the same always the same um and obviously on twitter which is uh, the limehouse pod 
And obviously, hello to uh, Steve Little there, uh, as, as always, and Tom Turtle. Hope you're doing well, chaps. Uh, and, and um, yeah, Lynn Featherstone's going to be coming on. I'm going to go to the House of Lords on Tuesday for a chat with her. And I hope to bring back a really cracking conversation with you, with her, for you. Yeah, that's the one. So, like I said, uh, iTunes reviews going to help us a lot. The show is building momentum. I'm really enjoying doing it, having taken two weeks off. I feel a little bit more energised and we will hopefully on Tuesday be talking a lot more about uh, the EU and we'll be uh, probably focusing on kind of the stuff we talked about with George but obviously from the standpoint of, of from Lynn, Lynn Featherstone's standpoint and her history and, and obviously the knowledge she's going to be able to bring to the, to the, to the table is going to be fantastic and I think you're all going to absolutely love it so look, for, look forward to that and I will see you soon um, I'm going to leave the podcast to play out to the to the music in the background that you always hear which is my band dad's dance best we don't have a sponsor of the show so i guess this spot this this show has kind of morphed into sort of being sponsored by myself you know my funny little things that i do uh, uh i think rosie's tail has sponsored this show before so this show is going to be sponsored by dad's dance best my rock band there you go enjoy it and i will see you soon